Well, like I said, we're talking about the idea of Christian community this morning, so kind of a, a standalone from Exodus. And the idea of community is a little bit of a crossroad right now. For some, there's never been a better time to be alive and want to seek out community. Uh, there has never been a better time, some would say, to have all the possible options there are to be in relationships and have a common cause together. Let me just list a few. Uh, religious communities. We live in a pluralistic society where freedom of religion is the law of the land. And so you have any particular type of religion that you would want to be a part of, you could in this day and age. Sports communities. There are, uh, there, especially in this town, there are diehard allegiance and relationships built around sports teams. And all over the country, right? You could go into a certain town and be a Chicago Bears fan and find other Chicago Bears fans on Sunday mornings and watch a football game with them just by asking a simple question on Facebook. Sports communities are huge, right? There are video game communities, right? And you, you could talk, you mention the word Mario or Nintendo, and instantly you might have five people relating over a simple idea that's been around, Nintendo's been around since the 80s, right? It's been around forever, and yet uh, people of all ages can talk about what this is. And sports uh, video game communities as well. There's so much... Uh, uh, relationships around video games, exercise communities, the, the resurgence of uh, group activities like CrossFit or, or HIT training where you, you gather together and you relate to each other over a common cause of doing exercise uh, together. Pick up basketball communities. I love my personal favorite. Uh, I have noticed lately that these pick up basketball communities are getting younger. Uh, I don't know why. I think I'm getting older. Uh, but every time I go now, it's like, Man, I think I'm the oldest guy in here. Uh, and, uh, and yet, those pickup basketball communities exist all over the country, and you can constantly find a game wherever you want. I have been able to find numerous games since I've been here in Oregon. There is the do-it-yourself community. There's home restoration, furniture, jewelry, do-it-yourself, anything you'd like. You can find that community, and you can find a group of people who want to live those things together. And then lastly, and I'm saving this for last, online community, right? You can find any type of online community you'd like right now through, through Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it may be. There are all kinds of communities available. So for some, some may say it's never been a better time to want to seek out relationships in a common cause, Right, and I just listed a few, we could go on and on. For others, the idea of community is a fading concept. David Putnam, who's an American author, wrote a book called Bowling Alone, in which he traced the idea of American communities and how they don't actually do the common things that they had done for years together. And so the idea of bowling alone to him was the epitome of the loss of relationship and community and relating to each other because bowling was a, a, a big thing and, and still is a big thing. Uh, but yet there is this idea that we have lost our roots, that we're more individualistic than ever before. And so people, when we bring up the idea of community, they lament, they are sad, they, they, they look for better days and they long for better days and think that it's something that is fading away. So let me tell a quick little story. Uh, my first church experience, my first church experience, I became a Christian at 19. 
I was not churched. I didn't know anything about church. Um, me and my friends came into church with our sagging pants and our hats on and backward hats and things like that. We had no idea what we were doing. And yet, the first, my first church experience that I ended up spending, gosh, 19 years of my life in the same church was full of families. No one really my age. My friends didn't end up attending, but it was full of families, full of older men, full of married men, full of families who've been married for a long time with kids, and it was not hip. It was not hip. It was not the cool place to be. And yet, because of that experience, uh, I didn't know any better, right? I didn't know what I was looking for. All I knew was that God had saved me and that I knew I needed to be a part of a church. And because of that experience, I grew immensely. All I, all I did was just immerse myself in that community. All I did was get corrected on almost a daily basis because I knew nothing. But yet I thought I knew everything, right? Because I've got this new knowledge and you need to hear it. And, and I was corrected always. I was encouraged, right? I saw what relationships could be. I didn't, my family was, was broken. It was dysfunctional. We like to say we put the fun in dysfunctional. I didn't know what it means to relate to people. And yet, because of that Christian community that I experienced for the very first time, I can honestly stand up here and say, I am the product of that, good and bad. <laughs> and, and so the idea, of a, the idea of community is so vital. It's so important to me that I'm, I'm glad to get up here and speak about it. And so my goal this morning is, wherever you are on this idea of community, whether you think it's the greatest time ever to, be, to seek out relationships and a common cause, or whether you're like David Putnam and, and lament about times uh, of past, my goal is to show you Christian community. My goal is to show you from the Bible this fascinating story of what God is doing throughout redemptive history and that you would walk closer towards Christian community because of what we're doing this morning or opening up his word to see what true Christian community is and that you would be able to, as you understand true Christian community, be able to kind of use that idea as a filter to gauge every other kind of community. Is this a substitute for Christian community, or is this just something I like to do for fun, right? We can all filter and gauge every other kind of community through the word of God and understand that the Christian community is not another community to be a part of. It's not another community to be a part of, but it is the community according to God's plan to be a part of. So I wanna do that by showing you, making two points basically. The first point is that God creates Christian community through the gospel. Where does this inner urge for relationships come from? And it comes from Genesis 1, verse 26. And I think it's up there. I'm going to read it. It says this. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Sorry, I meant, forgot to mention this. There's kind of a lot of Bible passages today. Most of them are up there. Some of them I'll just read. 
So there's a debate on how to interpret this passage. Specifically, what does it mean when God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness? Some say it refers to the heavenly court. Some say it's God with all the angels saying, let us do this. We're going to do this. Let's accomplish this together. Angels, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're going to create man. So some, some interpret it that way. So that can't be the way it's uh, interpreted, mainly because of one reason. You cannot be created in the image of angels. We know that if this is a heavenly court creating uh, man after uh, the heavenly court's image, we would have to be somehow created in the image of angels, which is not true. We're created in the image of God. The Bible says clear over and over. So that's one interpretation. Another is this idea of plural of majesty. You ever heard of a king say, let us go to battle, right? That's, that's a, a often a phrase you might hear maybe in olden times, let us go to battle. It's referring to a plural of majesty. Wayne Grudem explains this view saying this, some have suggested that the plur- they are plurals of majesty, a form of speech a king would, uh, would say. He would say, we are pleased to grant your request. Right? That's something a king might say. And so there's this idea of uh, plurality in this way. It's a plural of majesty. A king would say this. But there's one major problem with this view, according to Grudem, and according to the rest of the Bible, that nowhere else in the Hebrew Old Testament do you have this plurality employed. Nowhere else in the Bible is this used. So the most common reading of this passage has to be that when God created mankind, he created us in the image of of his perfect triune relationship. What I mean is this, being created in the image of God means that we reflect the God who is a God of relationships. God has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so then when he created us, he created us in the image of him who is the God of relationships. Any urge to be in community Any urge to find a common cause, any urge to relate to one another comes from the reality that we are created in the image of God who is in community. He, again, he eternally exists in a perfect relationship. Amazing. This is deep stuff, I know, but it's amazing stuff. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have eternally existed. That That is historical Christian thought. They have eternally existed in perfect relationship. And so that when God creates, he creates us in the image of a triune God. An amazing thing. Look, listen to how Jürgen Moltmann says it. The three divine persons are not there simply for themselves. They are there in that they are there for one another. They are persons in social relationship. This is key. The Father can be called Father only in relationship with the Son. The Son can be called Son only in relationship with the Father. The Spirit is the breath of the one who speaks. We are created for a community. We are created to be in relationship with one another. And yet, we have to answer this question, why is it so hard? Why can't we do this? Why can't we love each other? Why do we always fight? Why can't we all, you know, get on the same page? Genesis 3, just two chapters later, says this, and it's up here. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deserved me, and I ate. So we are created in the image of God, a triune God who is in perfect relationship. And two chapters later, we fail to image God perfectly. We fail to relate to each other perfectly. Sin entering God's perfect creation caused many issues in our relationships. Adam hides from God, right? Why in the world would you hide from your creator? Because of sin, right? Because they did what they weren't supposed to do. Adam blames Eve. It's the woman you gave me, right? He doesn't take responsibility for what he did. He ate of the, the, the tree that he wasn't supposed to. Eve blames the serpent. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And on and on throughout history, this loop just keeps going over and over again where we hide from God, we blame each other, we don't take responsibility. And so community, this idea of relating to each other is extremely difficult, even though this is what we were created for. So although our relationships are broken, Jesus enters the scene and he dies for a people that would finally begin to relate to him and each other correctly. And he's always been doing this. Throughout the the Old Testament and the New Testament, God has always been in the business of gathering a people. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. It was Abraham's seed who were to relate to God and each other perfectly. And any other foreigner who would want to join and forsake foreign gods, who would want to be with the true God, could join and be part of this family. And at Jesus' coming, many Israelites unfortunately rejected the fact that he is the one, the restorer, the one who brings us back to God and each other. And so the people of God have shifted to non-Jews or what the Bible calls Gentiles. And the gospel continues to spread to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And the way that this gathered people is described primarily in the New Testament is a family. God creates a new family through the new birth as all are born into their original families are born and capable of coming to God and their sin. Listen to how John 1 says this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God creates a family through the new birth. He's doing this work. He creates the community of his people through the gospel. The gospel message is heard. People are born again and believe, and they're called children of God. God is doing this work. They're born not of the, it says in John 1, not of blood. It doesn't matter who you're born to, what family you're born into. It's not the will of the flesh. It's not how hard you try. It's not the will of man. It's not somebody saying you're gonna be part of the family and you're not gonna be part of the family of God. It's God who says, you, I will cause you to be born again and you will now enter into my family. 
Galatians 4 says it this way. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his, his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has spent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God enters into our broken world of relationships and he restores us into his family so that we're no longer slaves to self-centeredness, to hiding from God, to blaming others for our sin, and to uh, not accepting the responsibility for our sin. He calls us sons and daughters of the Most High. He's, he redeems us. He buys us out of slavery so that we, we can be with him forever. And so that for the first time in human history, we can say, yeah, I, I, I did do what you said I shouldn't do, God. You're, you're right. But guess what? I'm, I'm so thankful that Jesus came and redeemed me and bought me from that slavery through the cross so that I can own up to my sin. And you know what? I, I shouldn't have done what I did. I'm sorry, Eve. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. I should have, I should have been a better uh, husband to you, right? And that for the first, so Jesus enters into our world and he creates that family that God has always been up to. Listen to how 1 Peter describes it. Um, I'm actually just gonna read verses nine to 10 because there's, there's a lot of verses here. Um, in 1 Peter 2, he says, he's talking about how we are this new people, right? We're the church, this new community of people. And in verses nine to 10, he says this. I'm just gonna read this last two verses. I think it's uh, the second slide. <laughs> Thank you. He says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous night. Light, sorry. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He calls us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. God's people, through the mercy of Jesus Christ, has been formed. It's called the family of God. It's called the church. It's called the community of believers, all who would gather and say, I have no other hope but Jesus Christ. Verses nine and 10 are key. Once you are not a people, once you hid from God, once you fought each other, once you blamed others for your sin, once you could not take responsibility, but now I have, I've given you mercy, I've given you grace so that you will give mercy and grace to each other. I have given you mercy and grace so that you, when you relate to me as father, you will say, I, I messed up, I'm sorry, I sinned. Please forgive me. And the father can say, of course, my son. Here's how to do that better. Here's, how to, here, here's what obedience actually looks like. So God redeems us. He buys us out of the slavery to self-worship through the saving work of Jesus Christ, and he creates a people. But the first point I wanted to make this morning is that we are created. God creates a Christian community through the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me apply this just a few ways before the next point. The first point, I hope you've heard this by now, 
is that we are a community of grace. We are people of grace. Grace means that we have not earned God's favor. Grace means we could not ever earn God's favor. And grace means that he works on our behalf to save us and to deliver us. The gospel eliminates any claims to superiority based on sex or gender, income, race, or any other man-made what may we look for superiority. It is the ultimate uh, leveler of the playing field. And if there is no claim to superiority, if there is no claim to superiority, we should be the most servant-oriented people on the face of the earth. If we are a community of grace, that means we should be looking out for each other in service and how can I, how can I point you to Jesus Christ on a daily basis? Right, Because I can't possibly, if I truly believe the gospel, if it's embedded in my heart, if it's not something that I just mentally ascribe to, but that it is the operating system of my heart, I have to say, I'm not any better than you. I'm just a sinner. How can I help you? How can I serve you? What do you need? How do you need encouragement? What, what, you know, how can I pray for you? What, what, how can I enter into your sin and be like Jesus to you? We should be tirelessly looking to sacrifice for others, starting in the church. We have a community here that we can look into and say, how can I serve? How can I sacrifice? Because we've been humbled by the gospel, because it's not about superiority based on any man-made claims. So that's the first idea. If God created a community through the gospel, he didn't create a community based off of your income or based on where you're from or based off your past and how much you've sinned, but he, he did it all through the grace of Jesus Christ, then we must be a community who serves each other. It's the logical implication of all of that. Secondly, this is God's community, which means he planned and executed the forming of this community through the work of redemption, the death, burial, and resurrection of his only begotten son, Jesus. That's just a fancy way of saying he did it all. He did it all. He's in this business of creating a people. This, is, this means that this community is a big deal. This is God's, this is not my idea. I hope that you hear that this is the word of God this morning telling you that God is creating a Christian community and that he is welcoming people from all tongues, tribes, and nation into his family through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, if only they would believe. No one should ever be guilted into making God's community their prior in their lives. It shouldn't be a guilt issue. And here's why. It's because it's God's priority. It's, this is what God is doing. So the call to immerse yourself in God's community, it's just a call to take steps forward towards what God is doing. Think about that for a second. I shouldn't have to guilt you into being more involved in the community. I'm, the word of God is just calling you to join what God is doing. He's always been doing this. He's always been gathering a people for himself that would relate to him perfectly through his son and relate to each other as imperfectly as we do, but striving, right, to love each other and care for each other and serve each other. That's what God does. That's what he's up, that's what he's up to. And so 
this community is created by him and so it shouldn't be ever a guilt trip. It should be something you want to. And now I know from my own heart, right, that this is a struggle, right? We don't often want this type of community. We want to be isolated. We want to be by ourselves. We want to be left alone, right? If you're a parent, you know what that is all about, right? You just want silence and peace. Uh, And so this idea I know is not easy, but this is what God is calling us to and this is what God has in plan for our lives. And so we have to work through that, right? We have to work through why, why do I want to just always be by myself? Why? What, what is it? And, and that's a process, and I get that. But it should never be something that you have to be guilted into. You should, if you, as you look to the scripture and as you hear from other people, you should hear this wonderful call to be part of a Christian community. And it should, it should ring in your ears to say, yes, I need to take steps forward towards that. Listen to what, how John Stott sums this up. He says it better than I do. The church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. For his purpose, conceived in a past eternity, being worked out in history, and perfected in a future eternity, is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church and that is to call out of the world a people for his own glory. Again, I started this by saying, I want you to take steps forward to Christian community, and that is just taking a step forward with God by his grace towards what he has always been doing throughout history. It's to join him, because all other communities will fail. God's community is going to prosper. God's community is going to grow. He will build his church. It will will happen. And so I, I urge you to step forward towards that. Secondly, I want to, say, I want to make another last point. Christian community is where we live out the gospel. And what I mean by living out the gospel, I mean Christian community is where you live out the, the issues in your own heart, the sin in your own heart, the reasons why you want to be just kind of by yourself, the reasons why you want to hide, the reasons why you want to uh, blame shift, the reasons why you want to defend yourself, the community of God, the church, is where you live this out, where you work through this, where you try to figure out, why is this, why do I just want to be by myself? Why is it that I always uh, defend myself when my wife accuses me of something, right? Why is, or, or that I actually did, right? Why is it? Why is that the case? And so the Christian community is where we live out our own, what we would call sanctification, growing closer towards Jesus Christ, hating sin, repenting of sin, and following Jesus more and more. So we, we live out the gospel in that way. And then we also, we also help each other, right? When we talk about living out the gospel, we're talking about helping each other grow towards that, right? Away from that isolation, away from um, that self-sufficiency and towards more and more reliance on Jesus Christ, more and more reliance on each other to figure this crazy world out, to figure out our relationships. And then finally, the Christian community doesn't exist for itself, but it exists so that we not only figure out how to work through our own stuff, our own sin, and how to help each other, but then ultimately to bring this message to the nations, to love our neighbor the way that we are to love them truly. Let me uh, read Ephesians 4, uh, verses uh, 11 to 25, and just sum that up, because I think that's a great uh, idea of Christian community on display, and then I'm gonna talk about what a biblical Christian community looks like, and then we're gonna end. Let me go ahead and read Ephesians 4 one more time. It's, It's such an important passage, it needs to be read again. 
Sorry, I meant to turn here. All right. Starting in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. Let me just stop and say this. The Christian community is given a gift by God. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints, and it's the idea of mending broken nets. To equip the saints, why? What are they supposed to do? Just so they have knowledge and so so they can impress their friends? No, so they can do the work of ministry, it says in verse 12. They equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Again, Ephesians 4 is a great example of what Christian community should look like. So God gifts the church leaders who can equip, who can help us figure out why we love to avoid Gathering together. Why do we want, again, why do we want to hide? Why? I'm gonna keep harping on that, but it's, but it's, it's our heart, right? Our hearts lean towards uh, being by ourselves. So he, give, he gifts the church to equip us so that we can do the work of ministry and the body, the community will grow. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So they would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We believe lies, unfortunately. Right? Eve believed the lie of the serpent. Right? We believe we, we are led astray, and so we need to be built up so that we no longer follow those lies. He says in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. So instead of being led away by lies, he calls the church, the Christian community, to speak the truth in love and so that we are grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Speaking, so in verse 15, he says we have to speak the truth in love. And, and that passage is interesting because we often read that and go, I'm supposed to just tell the truth. It's not my fault you're offended. But it tells me to speak the truth. I'm speaking the truth, Right? And, and because it's in love, I do it with a smile. You're a sinner. You know, that's how we often take that, right? Right? I do it with a smile, but I'm going to be harsh maybe. It's like a permission slip to be harsh. And that's not what it's ta- calling us to. It's calling us to warn each other about the deceitful lies that we believe, Right? The lies that that God doesn't love us because we sinned yesterday. The lies that that we give ourselves every moment of every day. That we are to speak the truth in love so that we do not get carried away by this. Verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart, that they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to every practice and every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learn Christ. 
assuming that you have heard about him and were taught at him as the truth is in Jesus. There it is. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? Well, he just told us in verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. God gifts leaders to the church to equip us for the work of ministry so that the Christian community grows so that we can begin on our own, right, without always having to rely on some type of leader, even though that's what God has given us, so that we on our own could speak the truth and love, so that on our own we could relate to each other and say, here's what the gospel says. Here's, you don't have to, you don't have to hide. God's completely forgiven you. He knows you. He knew, he knew the sin that you were going to commit today, yesterday. He knew it in eternity past. He still loves you. That's why he died for you. You don't have to hide. You can, you can actually repent of that and come clean and say, yeah, I'm a mess. God, forgive me and help me to not do that again. We are to speak the truth in love and we are to point each other to the truth that is in Jesus Christ, the gospel. That's how the Christian community grows. We're equipped to do this work. That's a picture of Christian community. And I'm just gonna skip to verse 25. Here's why we don't lie. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, put it away, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? Because we are members one of another. Because the Christian community is interconnected, we are called the body of Christ. That's the reason we speak the truth to each other. That's why we don't lie to each other. Because if I lie to you, it's not just hurting me. Guess who else it's hurting? You. It says, it says the reason why we speak the, the truth is because we are members of one another. We belong to each other. First, what does biblical Christian community look like? 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that we're all members of the same body. We're all connected with equal value and importance. So if I lie to you, I'm saying you're not of equal value and importance. You don't need to know the truth that's going on in my heart. I've cut you off and I've said, eh, you're not that important. Christian community looks like where we all value each other and say, you need to speak into this. You need to help me walk through this. Why is it that I that, that I'm so self-obsessed that, that, you know, when the job interview doesn't go well, I just mope and I can't, I can't move on. Why is it that if my job is not going well, everything else around me is horrible? Why is it that I'm only happy when I'm good in good grades? Why is it that I'm only happy when sports are going well? Why is it that I'm so hurt by a member of the opposite sex when they don't want my affection. Why is it? We all belong to each other. We all have equal value and importance. We need to help each other see through this, to see the message of the gospel and how it connects to every one of those instances I just mentioned. And guess what? God hasn't left us alone. Romans 12 says that we're all gifted to serve each other. It's amazing. We all have a gift to bring to each other in these circumstances, whether it be encouragement, right? Life is not all moroseness. There's times when somebody encourages us and we say, thank you. 
thank you. I, I walk away from that conversation having a better, clear, a more clear picture of what it means to follow Jesus. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for coming over to my house and helping me move. Thank you for doing all the little, watching my kids, whatever it may be that I need. Thank you for gifting me, or for your gift and serving me in that way. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 are huge passages to understand that we are all interconnected, that, we, that when we skip out on Christian community or we put other things in priority above them, it teaches us that not only do I miss out, right, because I'm not being served by you, right, because you have a gift and you're, you're an encouragement to me, Right? It teaches us that, that when we put those things and, and we have our priorities out of whack, we know that we're not, I am not benefiting and you're not benefiting. The church is not growing. The relationships in the church aren't what they could be. Right? Because if we truly believed in this idea of Christian community, we'd be coming every, to everything within reason right, that we can and saying, how can I serve? How can I gift? How can I help you? What's going on? What, what's the... Your week was awesome. Great, I needed to hear that. <laughs> Teaching middle school is good sometimes. Jason, thanks for reminding me of that. You know, <laughs> there, we need that encouragement. And so we get that encouragement by placing ourselves in Christian community. Because the idea is that we're all in it together. We all have the same value and importance and we're all gifted to serve each other. Hebrews 3 says this, I'm almost done. Hebrews 3 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3 is an important passage. The call to practice biblical Christian community is not merely an invitation to attend Sundays more often. It's a call to be involved with each other in such an intimate way on a daily basis, right? He says, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. He says we're to exhort each other on a daily basis and know each other in such a way on a daily basis that we know our brothers and sisters struggles with sin and can exhort each other to believe the truth of the gospel in Jesus and not the lies of sin, Right? He says here that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, the theme this morning is that we are prone to believe lies and that we need each other. We need the word of God and each other and immersed in each other's lives to remind each other that those are lies and that the truth is found in Jesus. And here's how it applies to that particular lie. Again, I know this is hard, right? How do we know each other in an intimate way so that we can know how to exhort each other? It takes time. It takes practice. You're going to mess up. You're going to fail. I've done it a million times. But this is, this is what we're called to. This is what obedience to the word of God looks like. This is what it means to be part of a Christian community. It's, we're going to fail. It's going to take time. But, we, but again, I encourage you this morning to take steps forward towards this community. Don't shrink back. Don't go, oh, that's too hard. Yeah, it is too hard. Only by the grace of God will anybody do this. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit will anybody do this. Only by proper motivation through the gospel will anybody do this. It will, it, we will fail, and we will be forgiven, and we will learn how to do it in better ways, but this is the work that we've been called to. This is the community that we are to practice. Lastly, John 13 
In verse 34 and 35, John says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's an important passage. Verse 34 says, you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. The love of Jesus is amazing. It's radical. It's, it's crazy that God would love sinners the way that he does. But yet he does. He does it with joy. He, this is what he's all about. He loves to love, to love people who don't have it all together. And he says, you love your, the community just the same way. It should look crazy. Someone should say, why do you still love that guy? Well, because that's the way Jesus loved me. So the, the biblical Christian community means that it's a, we are to love each other in such a way that somebody asks that question. Somebody who's not a Christian says, why did you forgive that person again? Why did you do that? How could you do that? Well, Jesus forgave me many more times than I'm ever gonna forgive this person. And so we are a witness to the world through our lives. And so as, as we live this way, Right? The Christian community is not just merely for itself. It is for the world. As we live this way and people ask questions, we get to proclaim the gospel. We get to say, you know the way I'm trying to love Doug? It's just the way that Jesus loves me. And it's easy to love Doug. But uh, that's it. That's it. We get to proclaim the gospel. We get to say it's an entry door into the way that God loves us. And that's an amazing thing. We don't ex merely exist. This community does not merely exist for ourselves, but we exist for our neighbor and, and for the world. And so biblical Christian community looks like this. A people who understand that they have value and importance and they give and they serve towards each other. They know each other in such a way that they warn each other about the lives of sin and exhort one another every day so that they believe the truth of Jesus, not just one time, but every single day that they can. And that this community is such an amazing place that people say, why, how? And we say, Jesus and his love towards us. And we communicate the gospel in such a way that they can understand it and they see it and they're drawn to it. Let me pray.